Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Okay, so you've probably heard many, many states, including mine and yours, uh, have extended stay-at-home orders. Some until um, the end of April, many until the middle of May. And so, I don't know, maybe we just have to settle in a little bit for at least the next couple of weeks to our new realities. Um, I will tell you that I have grown um, somewhat weary of um of where we are and I would like to get things going again so maybe you're feeling the same way it occurs to me that christians have experienced this kind of um hmm frustration throughout history in many times and places and so maybe we just Take a deep breath and consider what it would have been like to have been a Christian in the days of the catacombs of Rome. Or maybe we just pause and consider for a moment what it might have been like to have been Christians early on behind what became the Iron Curtain of the communist Soviet Union. Maybe we just pause and consider what it's been like for decades now in communist China, or for Christians in North Korea. Um, the, the restrictions on movement, certainly the restrictions on um, gathering for events of public worship, it's not new for Christians around the globe over the course of human history. And yes, we must not only celebrate and guard the religious liberty that we uh, enjoy here in the United States of America, we must also um, empathize with those who do not have such freedoms, who who live under regimes and places where their very right to believe in God and worship him, their right to celebrate the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is restricted by the government. And so I just uh, want us to have a little perspective today as we are learning in some cases that we're going to be staying at home for another month. Um, I want us to have a little perspective on that. Um, this will end. I mean, th- this this time um, will be a season here in the United States of America. We will recover. We will emerge. Um, and things will have changed permanently in some cases. And and my hope is that much of that is for the positive. Take a look at some point today at the air quality reports around the globe. Um, and just pause for a moment and consider that there are people who are 50 years old who live in India um, in what should have been view of the Himalayan mountains who until now have never seen them and who are now seeing 
the largest mountain range in the world, which is only 100 miles from where they live. They are now seeing it for the first time because the air quality has now improved to the point that they can actually see. They can actually see. And then think about uh, that as a as a spiritual analogy. People have been living in deep darkness, in in a fog, in the dirtiness. And maybe for them, the light is beginning to shine. Maybe they will awaken to the reality of who Christ is and the power of his resurrection. And you and I as Easter people will get to show them then the way. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about revival today um, with, a, with a few of our guests. We're going to lead off with Nick Pitts. He and I are going to touch on some news items from around the globe, including the locust swarms in northern Africa. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. That's the walk-up music for my friend Nick Pitts. You can find him on Twitter at JNickPitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Welcome back. Why, hello, Carbon. So great to be here, and happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday. He is risen. He is risen indeed, even on Tuesday. Even on no, Tuesday, I love it. Easter after Easter. I'm going to celebrate Easter until Pentecost, so I figure I have 50 days. I feel I feel great about that. I think I feel, the <laughs> Americans are looking for a reason to be able to celebrate, and what not a better uh, uh, opportunity to celebrate, and what not a better reason to celebrate than the risen Christ, which is a reminder of our hope and um, that we have in Him. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we have a locust swarm of literally biblical proportions. Um, yeah. I had kind of hoped that maybe that first wave of uh, of locust swarms that we talked about a couple of months ago was going to be it, but apparently there are now new waves of locusts uh, threatening millions in Africa. Um, please tell our audience what's going on there. Yeah, so uh, a couple of months ago, there was a significant uh, wave of locusts that hit East Africa and countries like Ethiopia and Uganda, and a second wave now has come out. And the second wave, some estimates indicate that it's 20 times the size of the first wave. Some 1 million people in Ethiopia are requiring emergency food aid after swarms of locusts damage upwards of uh, almost a half a million acres of cropland in that area. That's on top of the already 6 million to 8 million uh, Ethiopians that are experiencing uh, acute food insecurity and our need of humanitarian assistance. And if the, obviously, if it just continues to get worse, um, this is while they're also battling the pandemic known as COVID-19 in that country as well. Um, it is just, it it really is. It's just one of those uh, just tragedies, it seems as though, that just kind of illuminates this idea of when it rains, it pours right now. And that's just what's happening in uh, Africa's second most populous country uh, uh, in Ethiopia. It is hard to imagine um, the scope in terms of the the land mass that we're talking about. Um, and when you look at pictures from this region, um, 
you know, really, we're already talking about a, an arid land. We're already talking about a land that's largely deforested, uh, where food is already difficult to cultivate. And there are already seasons of starvation. They have, um, I mean, actually just have a starving season every year. Um, this is going to complicate that tremendously. And so we just want to raise people's awareness today. Um, there will be uh, no cassava. That's a local staple. Um, mm-hmm. There will be, which would be like um, no rice in Asia or no potatoes in America might be another way to think about that. Yeah. Um, and and these are uh, these are folks who literally live um, hand to mouth and rely yeah. on uh, farmers in order to you know sustain life. And that is simply not going to not going to happen this year. So just want to we'll be we'll continue to be aware of it. I think one of the great challenges is that. You know, there is no international aid effort right now um, because of the coronavirus. Every country is you know, sort of hunkered down and dealing with its own crisis at home. And we will in in the aftermath of the coronavirus, there will be such devastation around the globe from things that we did not pay attention to in the meantime um, that I just think people need to be emotionally prepared for that. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, I think you're. I think you're right on with that. I, I actually talked to a friend. There's a uh, Ethiopian evangelical Baptist church here in the Dallas area. Dear friends of mine preached over there a couple of times, and I was sharing with them about this a couple of weeks ago after the first outbreak of the locusts. And uh, my pastor friend reminded me of a Churchill Winston Churchill quote. He says that we haven't made it this far because we are made of hard sugar candy. Uh, there is a resilience and a beauty to the Ethiopian people right now that even though this is a this is a uh, an outbreak that's almost biblical in size, that there is just a resilience that is far greater for them, largely because there is just a, a keen resolve within their spirit that greater is he who is in them than he is in the world. And our hearts should go out and our prayers should go toward the people of Africa and Ethiopia in particular as they battle this and the challenges that come with it. But my goodness gracious, they are they that I know I walked away blessed by the resolve and the faith of these individuals as they battle this. Um, when we were uh, praying about this in our family, um, I, I have a special needs son. But when we said the word Ethiopia, he he lit up, and um, because he knows one story of one Ethiopian eunuch from the Bible, <laughs> yeah. And oh, so he sweet. said, um, Jesus has been there a long time. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is uh, that is the truth. <laughs> that is the truth. Jesus has been in Ethiopia a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, this is a really disturbing story uh, about do it, uh, well, I guess do it yourself abortions that are being done at home, um, prescribed over telemedicine now during the pandemic here in the United States. Um, we're going to talk about Planned Parenthood's just, gosh, just they're they just on a war path against the next generation. And so I want to talk about that. That's up next. Nick Pitts is my guest. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Nick Pitts, you can find him on Twitter at J Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. So, Nick, uh, a week ago now, I was, um, you know, scrolling the news, as I am known to do, and I came across uh, this NBC News um, report where Dr. Leanna Wynn 
was actually chronicling her pregnancy, detailing it, her pregnancy and her delivery journey in a video diary um, uh, entitled Know Your Value. Um, and it's uh, she's chronicling, quote, what it's really like to give birth in the age of the coronavirus. Now, what was interesting to me is Dr. Leanna Wynn is not identified in this piece as the former head of Planned Parenthood, but simply yeah. as Baltimore's former health commissioner. Mm-hmm. And television I commentator. I, I, the thing mm-hmm. is stunning. The revision of history. The person, the woman who oversaw the, you know, the slaughter of a, a of a generation, um, mm-hmm. is you know, she's not regarded as the former head of Planned Parenthood. Um, now she's you know just celebrated a television commentator who chronicles the birth of her baby. First of all, the irony of that is stunning to me. But then Planned Parenthood is on a big push right now for telemedicine to um, to be making do-it-yourself uh, abortions available at home during the pandemic. Talk to me about what's going on here. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, uh, many of your listeners will remember a life before Roe where there were a significant amount of back alley abortions. There's some estimates anywhere from anywhere from 200,000 to 1.2 million illegal abortions per year in the 1950s and 1960s. We uh, obviously we may never know the number of lives lost in those proverbial alleys, but beginning to learn what those future alleys might look like, especially during this pandemic. The future of abortions can be online pharmaceuticals, the type of do-it-yourself abortion that you're uh, referring to. Even before the pandemic, there was a there was an article in BBC that highlighted how one network estimates that they've administered at least two thousand uh, of these do-it-yourself abortions in the past three years. And I'm sure many of your listeners probably have through their health plans a, a kind of a teledoc type of medicine, uh, which is just kind of the advance of utilizing technology to be able to distribute um, medicinal needs for individuals through computer and through chats and Zooms, et cetera. And abortion is uh, no different in that regard. Well, you've got a lot of lockdowns that are in shelter in places that are happening all throughout the U.S., what we're beginning to potentially see, but again, we, we just don't know yet because the data is not there, is that it would stand to reason that the that abortion uh, being considered by many a form of medicinal care would continue to be propagated through this as well. Um, and so this is just another, uh, we're just reminded yet again, where there's a will, there's a way. And it appears as though there's going to be a way for many individuals um, but even though some states like Texas, for example, is doing the best that they can to limit this and say this is not an essential activity. Let me just encourage people, if you um, know someone who um, is pregnant and it's not something that they planned, um, it's not something that God didn't plan. And so we want to come mm-hmm. alongside you. We want to encourage you to avail yourself of the resources that are available um, check out carenet.org, care-net.org. We have featured them here. There is a crisis pregnancy center in your area. Um, mm-hmm. There are thousands of them across the country, um, and we want to support you in that. So if you're having a hard time finding the support that you need for an unplanned pregnancy, text me, 877-933-2484. Email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. We will help you find the resources in your area um, to support life and come alongside you. Um, in your life, in the life of your uh, child. Hey, let's do a couple of good news stories, um, Nick. We've got a seven-year-old North Carolina boy who has run a marathon in his backyard to raise money for hospitals and nonprofits during the shutdown. This seems like a good use of of, of seven-year-old extra energy. 
I can't like I that was I, I just confounded me, but yet it doesn't surprise me simply because one, you've got the marathoners have just been known for their resolve that they have. Uh, who who knowingly participates to to run twenty six point two miles straight uh, other than a marathoner? So we've always known that. But two, uh, what I love about this is it illuminates. This is what makes America great. Like uh, the the how you use your freedom and to be able to use your freedom in a way that helps your neighbor. Now, uh, the greatness of America isn't located simply in Washington, D.C. The greatness of America is located all throughout the spirits of the over 300 million Americans that have get, shown their resolve to not want to wait for someone to do something good, but to decide that they themselves are going to be the individuals to do good for their neighbors. Yeah, I, I mean, seriously, don't you just love this? He came up with this plan um, and he, you know, he's like figured out how long he has to run around his backyard, how many times like it. Um, so it says um, it says here in the article, it started out just as something fun to do. Um, and then I saw that he well, he was serious about it. This is his mom. So I thought, well, let's share it. Let's lift some people up. Uh, and she said she's been blown away by people's response to it. So thirty seven thousand steps later, right? <laughs> I do love I it. Imagine, I cannot imagine this, but I but I love it, and I love how there is so much tragedy that's happening right now. But like you like you're doing right now, to be able to illuminate some of the great stories that you can because you can shelter us in place, but you cannot shelter the spirit that abides inside of so many of us to want to look out to our neighbor. I know. I just love it. All right. Let's also do the story about this West Virginia church. There's apparently more churches involved in this than just this one. Um, churches spent Easter making PPE, these um, uh, protective equipment on 3D printers. Okay. Is it possible that you know how a 3D printer works? Because when I raised this question, um, I'll just admit, I don't even know how this works. How, how does a printer make anything? I I am I I st- stood in front of a 3D pen- printer uh, a few years ago, and I was just amazed at watching it make. Essentially, it just is. It's absolutely. It's out of the Jetsons to a certain degree, right? Like I'm I'm right. living inside of this cartoon of like, my goodness, we are making it. Like they, there's even to a certain degree that they're making all of these different things. And so it's just so fascinating what technology is allowing us to do and how when you get technology in the hands of spirit-filled people, how they're wanting to bless their neighbors and extend the kingdom in their communities. I just, it's it's exciting. It's thrilling. Um, all right, we have like one minute. Can we Can we talk about the church in New York um, that was destroyed on 9-11 and is finally, 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 St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Church finally um, being resurrected? It is, again, the resilience that's happening here in the U.S. right now, that there is just this sense that you can tamp, you can try to tamp us down, but we will continue to move forward. I'm, I'm seeing there's there, the numbers are even bearing this out right now. You're talking to certain uh, Bible, uh, Bible publishing companies. You're talking to uh, surveys with pastors across the U.S. right now that they're seeing this uptick in matters of faith, this desire to move towards uh, uh, God, that there was even research that was put out by LifeWay uh, six years ago that indicated that after tragedies, Americans are turning upwards of 38% are more interested in matters of faith. I just, I, I, I love it. I love it that we're, we're seeing the living out of the words of God that aren't just black words on a white page, but rather like how God is using all difficulty in order that he might be the author of it to make it good. And so it's just really neat. 
Just love it. Nick, thank you so much for joining us again today. We appreciate it. That's Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at Pitts. Have a blessed week, man. So good to talk to you. Great to talk to you. We'll be right back. Revival. How do you respond when you just even hear that word? Um, James Chong and Ryan Pfeiffer have experienced revival in their own lives, in their own ministries. They have experienced the transforming power of the gospel. The question of what revival looks like, what it means, how we can anticipate it, would we recognize it when it happens, all of that is a part of the conversation um, in Longing for Revival, From Holy Discontent to Breakthrough Faith by James Chong and Ryan Pfeiffer. They join me for a conversation next. There's an old saying about procrastination that you shouldn't put off until tomorrow what you could do today. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When it comes to dealing with a teen who's spiraling out of control, you have a lot of stuff to deal with right now. I get that. But let's push the pause button for a second. Whatever you're facing at home, whether it's an angry son, a willful daughter, or a tense household, Put that old saying into play in the realm of communicating love. Don't postpone what you truly need to express right now. Surprise your kids with humility and affection. Tell your teens today that you love them, no matter what they do or say. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Hey, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm thrilled to be joined today by James Chung and Ryan Pfeiffer. They are the co-authors of Longing for Revival, From Holy Discontent to Breakthrough Faith. Ryan and James, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good to be Thanks here. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Yeah. So it's wonderful to have you guys here. Um, James, let's start with you. Why don't you introduce yourselves to people? What, what, are, what are two or three things you would want listeners to know? Uh, well, hi, I'm James, and um, I work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I'm the Vice President of Strategy and Innovation. Um, that sounds a bit businessy, but it, we pres- provide the resources and the strategy for the movement. And I have been married almost 20 years. I have three kids. So that's also something great to know about me. Great. Wonderful. All right. Hey, Ryan, how about you? Introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, everyone. My name is Ryan Pfeiffer, and I was working with InterVarsity for 20 years on college campuses here in San Diego. And I recently, in the last year, uh, left InterVarsity to join work in the local church. I'm at North Coast Calvary Chapel. I work with young adults, college students, 3040s, and I'm on the teaching team as well. Great. Wonderful. All right. And both of you are um, not only excited about and anticipating revival, but genuinely longing for it. Um, James, introduce us to uh, to the book, um, Longing for Revival. Oh, sure. It, it's really meant to be a book to help us practically, uh, a, a revival for the rest of us. Uh, part of my story is I was really allergic to that word because I grew up in a community that used it constantly. Like, you know, we have a guest speaker, it's revival. You know, we have a, a retreat, we called it revival. So 
Um, I felt like it was, it was a, a word that was loaded with some emotion and at worst manipulative. But um, as we're just going along and talking with Ryan and um, realizing that our strategies have really gotten us to our strategies are being relevant, trying to like use marketing and technology in our ministries. Our, our side of uh, the Christian community has actually done those things really well. And finding that we get to the end of the road and we feel like we need something more than that, that a genuine move of the Lord, a move of God will need for us to really long for revival and to seek him for it. And so the book really is to present a revival for the rest of us. It's meant to be something that helps us enter into revival. If we've been allergic to it before or if we've been excited about it, it helps us get some practical ways of thinking about that, to process through that, and then to begin to prepare and experience and lead it if it were to come. You know, I think that um, I appreciate the way that you framed that. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that the word revival is it's either misunderstood by many, many people, um, and because of the ways in which they misunderstand the term, they're not longing for it. Um, And then many who might be longing for it don't necessarily know what we're anticipating or how to, um, I don't know, fan the flame of it, invite it to come. Um, So, Ryan, Mm -hmm. what are are some things that you, you know, sort of learned um, in in the midst of this conversation and in writing this book? Well, we learned, one, just how sensitive people can be to the term and the different associations and connotations that can come with that word. And so we had to think about how to talk about it in a way— that help disarm people from those caricatures, seeing revival strictly as uh, a fundamentalist experience, you know, something like back to the sawdust revivals or the big tent revivals. Sure, that was one expression, but it's bigger than that. It's a biblical idea. It's a God thing. And so getting, or it's a care, or other people saw it as a charismatic thing only. And so I think to kind of take it out of some of those caricatures and see it as a bigger kingdom dynamic was really an exciting process to engage with with James. So I'm talking with uh, James Chung and Ryan Pfeiffer. They are the co-authors of a new book entitled Longing for Revival. Um, James, when we, uh, again, when we, when we think about what we're anticipating or what we would want to see, I, I have often been, in fact, right now it, in my local congregation, you know, there's this uh, open asking for people to be praying for revival, not only, uh, you know, for our congregation maybe, but for our city, the city where we happen to live and work and, um, you know, seeking to raise our kids, you know, we'd really desire to see revival in our city. I have then turned and asked people, what would that look like? And that's pretty much the end of the conversation. So can you tell (laughs) me what, what, you know, help me understand the answer to the question, what would revival look like in a church or in a city? Ah, such a fantastic question. And yeah, there, across the board, that's the thing about revival. It, it, there's so many different definitions out there, and even the way people personally experience that, it's it's a very different thing. So in our book, we really tried to define that in a way that would make sense for most uh, folks. And so our definition for revival is that it's it's a season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that usher in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. And so, you know, each line has something um, rich about that, but it's basically to say, we don't think like one a one-time event or a one-time experience constitutes revival, that it's actually uh, a series of breakthroughs that bring a new normal. And so that sense of it, like it, even in that way, then we, we say things that are almost a little edgy to say that Acts 2 on its own, the, the, the time when the Spirit came down in Pentecost wasn't revival in it of itself. 
But when you add an X3, X4, X5, 6, and the ways that they, there's healing, there's discipline, there's the ways that uh, in Act 6, there was a way that they had to restructure the, uh, the organization for, for justice. Um, as they were moving those things along, then the whole book of Acts pointed to a revival. So it's a season of breakthrough that makes you then kind of feel like you're in a different place. It's a different expectancy. A new, a, you're in a new normal. And that it would exhibit itself in the second line in word, deed, and power. So there's a balance. Out of Romans 15, Paul talks about uh, uh, um, fully proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed and in power. And that's the kind of thing that we think uh, is is good in revivals in that you could enter a revival might start in a words in a word circle or might start in a deed circle or might start in a power circle but as revivals matured as we've seen in history they tend to go to the word the center and express itself in ways where uh, there's more hunger for god's word and uh, an obedience to the teaching there's places where we're expressing compassion and justice through deed there's places where um, God's spirit is moving in ways that might be tough to define by rational means. And as word, deed, and power work itself together, it has impact not only on the individual, in the individual, though it has to start in the individual, but also in the world around us. Um, and that the hope is that hey, it James. is something that's experienced and something uh, for the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going we're to pause right there. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, um, we're going to unpack these other two parts of this definition. So the full definition, and again, let me remind our listeners, we're talking about longing for revival from holy discontent to breakthrough faith uh, by James Chung and Ryan Pfeiffer. The full definition offered here is a season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. We want to talk about what that new normal might look like, and we definitely want to talk about those kingdom experiences and fruitfulness. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Everybody here looking for revival in our own hearts and across the land. Anybody looking for a revival? Continuing my conversation now with James Chung and Ryan Pfeiffer, the co-authors of Longing for Revival from Holy Discontent to Breakthrough Faith. Um, we have talked about uh, the first couple of phrases of of this very robust definition in the book. And the definition of revival used in the book is a season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experiences and fruitfulness. So, um, Ryan, maybe you could pick up with uh, sharing with us, you know, what does it mean that revival would usher in a new normal? That might be the part of this I'm most excited about. Revivals are birthed out of a discontent with the status quo. It could be anything from not seeing enough young people in the church or seeing a decline in attendance of a generation from church. It could be a discontent with our own prayer lives, our own intimacy with Jesus. But it begins with that discontent with the status quo. That opens the door to a longing for a new normal, meaning a new depth and vitality in our prayer life, a new wave of, of a generation flooding into the church. And so that new normal is communicating that revival is not just about a moment, a big event. Um, It's about a new reality that has taken us to a new place of faith. And so we see that in the history of revivals, where you might have with an evangelistic event, a lot of people coming to faith. But the new normal is that year in, year out, there are people coming to faith that a community experiences an ongoing revitalized passion for the lost and capacity to reach those lost people with the message and the gospel of Jesus versus like a singular event. 
Yeah, and I think that that sort of gets us then into what this is going to look like in terms of our experiences. And I love the word fruitfulness. Um, one of the things that I frequently ask people is, you know, as you look around the culture, do you see fruits of righteousness or fruits of unrighteousness? And if you don't like the fruit you're seeing, then it's time to sow something different. Like it's time to start. Mm. It's time to start cultivating something different in the culture if you want to see different fruit, um, you know, in the next generation. And so, um, so James, why don't you talk with us about kingdom experiences and fruitfulness, that those are the, those are the things we would begin experiencing and seeing uh, as evidence that revival is really taking root. Oh, absolutely. And sort of even taking it in a different tack, we put those two things in there for a reason. I think when it comes to revival— Sometimes we just point to the external things of fruitfulness. Uh, mm-hmm. Other folks just point to the internal experience and uh, of revival, and sometimes that gets conflated in a way that's not helpful. And so um, sometimes they'll say it's not revival because it's just personal, and then that becomes an issue too. So we wanted to have something that was both internal and external, which is really important because we just found in history that no revival happens without revived people. And that's just a key lesson. So things have to happen as a personal experience. And then with the hope that it does actually flow into a fruitfulness that you see. And um, so even as you're talking, like, how do we sow that kind of thing? Well, we need people to come back and hunger for God in a new way again and to long for him and to, to experience that personally. And as we see, then that is really the ways that revivals tend to happen in history. They tend to happen small. They tend to happen with the marginalized. And there's something about that that, really is great in that we could prepare ourselves for revival and from that point and to see that um, expand. Um, so it, it's really important that there's both the personal, the, ex- the experience, as well as the fruitfulness. So, um, Ryan, as we as we walk around um, in this conversation, you know, okay, if in my heart I'm longing for revival, I share that desire, um, What are some what are some ways that not only can I sort of pursue it in my own life, um, but then fan the flame of it when I see it happening uh, in spaces and places around me. Yeah, so that's the, the third section of the book. The second and the third section of the book really emphasize that. The first section is uh, understanding or explaining revival. The second is experiencing it personally. And then the third is how do we express it and fan the flame in other people? And one of those things is understanding is a conceptual picture of revival that people maybe haven't had in the past, and that is that revival isn't just a massive social movement, but that revival begins with revived people. And that's a core conviction of the book, that with every revival movement in history, biblical and church history, it always started with a few revived people. And that's so important because we think, okay, I need to look at the big masses. I need to think of a stadium full of people. But rather, this book helps us focus on the few who are experiencing that revival dynamic, or they're experiencing that discontent. They are having a longing for breakthrough of God's kingdom in their life and in their community. And so the book helps direct people to recognize those signs and to begin to encourage them for personal breakthrough. That's probably where it starts. It's recognizing the people in our midst who are having a longing for a breakthrough of God's kingdom in their life or around them, and encouraging that, fanning that, incubating that longing, and not allowing it just to burn out. Because in the history of revival, it has often been the longing for breakthrough by a few that has exponentially impacted the many. I'll give you one example. The Hebrides revival, two elderly women in their 80s were discontent and longing for a breakthrough of youth in their church. There were no youth in their church. 
and the pastor had the wisdom to join them in their prayer, that had uh, an exponential multiplicative effect. Pretty soon, a lot of people were praying, and that exploded into a dramatic revival that swept through the Hebrides. And that gave um, hope and expectancy to, to Wales, and there was a Welsh revival, and that just fans outward to the whole world. So it's identifying people who have a longing for breakthrough, encouraging them in it, nurturing it, helping them not quit and give up until they see that breakthrough. And then when that faith is released, to share the testimony and fan the flame in others. All right, Ryan officially wins the prize for word of the day, multiplicative. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice use there. Um, all right, James. Yeah. So um, so James and Ryan, um, we're, we're about out of time here today. I'm wondering if you guys have an outro in the book, and it really focuses on this this reality of the already and the not yet. James, can you can you frame that for us before we go? Because I think that's really important. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes people get really excited about revival because they feel like it's right around the corner, you know. So let's get geared up. It's it's coming. So um, that's what gets them excited. That's actually not what gets me excited. Um, I sort of see it as. And based out of Psalm 85, um, or sorry, Psalm, yeah, Psalm 85, where basically all of history is headed toward this end, and the end is one unending revival. And so it's where everything's made right. It's where everything that God wants to happen is actually happening. And isn't that revival sort of pulling itself up to that new normal again and again and again? And so all of history is bending toward that arc. Uh, is all heading to that destination of unending revival. So our longing for revival now um, if, is, is, in a sense, really just bending ourselves into God's will, aligning ourselves to what he's going to do throughout history and for us to jump in on that. So I, I'm excited and longing for revival because it's the will of God, and that's what's going to happen in history. We don't experience it yet, but one day we will experience it in its full. Yeah, I love that. Um, I just uh, I appreciate the way you guys have put this together in a way that we can not only you know lay hold of, but I think that ministry leaders can really use to have conversations in all kinds of different ministry contexts with not only their leaders, but you know with people who come to them and say, "I just really I I long for this. I long for revival." A great opportunity for a pastor or other ministry leader to put a book in the hands of a layperson and say, "Let's um let's dig into this together and let's see if we can't." fan the flame of what God's doing in our generation. I just I just love it. James Chung and Ryan Pfeiffer are the co-authors. The book is Longing for Revival, From Holy Discontent to Breakthrough Faith. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. So... Is this a time of revival, of spiritual awakening? Well, one, one way to answer that question is, how am I experiencing this as a time of spiritual revival and awakening in my own life? And then how am I praying that God would spread that awakening, that heart revival, uh, to my family, my friends, my neighbors, my nation, the world? So it becomes a personal question, like, right, I can pray all day long for God to send revival to the land, for God to send revival to America. But if I am not inviting spiritual revival and spiritual awakening in my own life, then what am I doing? I'm, I'm asking God to do for others what I'm not interested in having him do for me. So let us, um, let us be people who invite 
spiritual revival and spiritual awakening in our own lives first. Let us repent of the ways in which we have resisted the fresh work of God in the past. Uh, Let us ask that same prayer for our churches. Lord, forgive us that we don't long for spiritual revival or spiritual awakening or for you to do something new in our generation and in our midst. And then let us practice spiritual disciplines. Let us engage in those things that we that we know put us in a place and a space, humble and contrite in spirit before the Lord, trembling before his word in his presence, acknowledging what he has done for us in Christ Jesus, acknowledging the power of the Holy Spirit, um, moment by moment, submitting. This is the hard part. This is, well, it's one of the hard parts. Uh, moment by moment, submitting, submitting to uh, cooperating with, maybe that's a better word. Maybe you don't like the word submission. Cooperating with, actively cooperating with the Holy Spirit who lives within you. God wants to dwell in us and God can only inhabit that which is holy. And so he must make us so. We cannot make ourselves holy, but God can make us holy. And so we must cooperate with the active work of the Holy Spirit within us to bring us even today um, one degree one degree more fully into conformity with who Christ is. So, dear God, starting with me, starting with me, send revival. Awaken my heart to encounter you afresh, and then let it spread to my family, my friends, my neighbors, the nation, and yes, the world. Holy God, send revival, and then help us to see it when it's happening and fan the flame. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.